Welcome, Legionaries, to episode 20 of Legion Cast Hobby Roundtable 8. Today we're going to be talking hobby news. We haven't had a chance to talk about uh, Warhammer World yet. Then we're going to talk about Brandon's Adeptus Titanicus event he ran last weekend that looked like a freaking blast. We've got a Fulgrim's Quest, and Maniple's going to be plundering the vaults again for us. So how's everybody doing tonight? Maniple, what have you been up to? Well, greetings, fellow Longbeards. Thanks for having me once again. Never forget how things used to be, my friends. Brandon, what's going on with you? Hello, my Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me, Moderati of the Legios. Welcome to Legion Cast. Uh, excited to be here, excited to talk about Warhammer Fest, and uh, as well as some Adeptus Titanicus. And back again, as usual, is our other co-host, Paul. What's going on? Yeah, thanks for having me back on, guys. Here for another fun one. Right on. So real quick, let's uh, talk about what's been on our hobby tables. I've got my 3D printer up and running. That arrived a couple days ago, so I've turned out about 11 usable breacher shields and several thunder hammers for my Invictaris Suzerain. So I'm going to be running five axes, five hammers, five plasma pistols, so... That'll be a fun squad to run. I'll be painting them up pretty soon. I know I said I was going to get away from painting infantry. I just don't think that's in my wheelhouse anytime soon. So what about you, Maniple? What have you been working on? I am currently working on Alpharius. And I've been he's been sitting on the back of my table here for a little bit, but I think it's probably finally time to at least try to do the trim, get some of the colors blocked in. He's actually looking pretty good. The nice thing about these highly detailed models is that if you can just pick out some of the, I mean, that sounds silly, but you can pick out the details and it kind of paints itself. You don't have to worry about filling in like a big panel of armor with something interesting. He kind of, it te- the model tells you what to do. So looking pretty good. I finished up a bunch, uh, a few more orcs uh, for 40k, uh, my bikers. And just yesterday I had a big uh, 40k game at a buddy's house, 2000 points of guard versus guard. And with the new Arcs of Omen detachment, I was finally able to legitimately field three Bane Blades. And they completely uh, uh, ruled the battlefield. So two up save and 30 wounds makes makes for a pretty tough nut to crack. My opponent had a really, really good list, but that was too much, uh, too much firepower. Good times. So I'd like to know what, uh, and maybe we can get into this a little bit more in Fulgrim's Quest or something, but... I, I want to know the details of painting Alpharius because that's your Primarch model. So I'm hoping you're going all out. Yeah, well, he's got all these little scales on him. So I'm not going to have to freehand him like like uh, Paul did, but uh, I got to figure out to do something interesting with them to get the highlights out. But he's, he's looking pretty good. I thought you'd already painted Alpharius. You've got like a squad of 20 already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. This is the the big one, though, the tall one. Oh, the slightly taller one. The slightly taller one, right. All right, Brandon, what about you? What's up? Uh, I've taken a little bit of a hobby break here. Um, I just hosted uh, a narrative event for Adeptus Titanicus, and uh, it was kind of a mad rush to get tables done uh, for all of that. So just taking a bit of a hiatus to sit back and breathe a bit, but uh, I got a couple of projects in the pipeline. I am going to a Middle Earth tournament in July, so I've got some Warriors of Minas Tirith to paint for that. Um, as well as I do still want to get my Legio Astorum for Titanicus done. And 
I've got to get a 3000 point list hammered out before the end of September when I'm going to Warzone Houston for their three day heresy event. So lots of projects that need to get done. Um, and I'm being a bit lazy and procrastinating a bit on them. Fair enough. What about you, Paul? What's going on? Yeah, my uh, schedule's not quite as chock full as Brandon's there, but um, yeah, I've just been really busy with work and working night shift means that I don't have a lot of uh, daylight time to work on models. Um, Recently, me and Brandon played a few games of AT to kind of test out his mission pack, and then after that, I was doing a mad scramble to to finish out my table so it'd be ready for the event. So yeah, besides that, I'm kind of just recalculating here. I think it's going to be back to Sons of Horus and try to get them finished up. Very cool. Sounds like fun. So uh, let's get into the hobby news. Uh, Warhammer World was pretty interesting for for us, kind of. I know Paul's got a lot he wants to say about... Warhammer Fest. Warhammer Fest, sorry. Paul's got a lot he wants to talk about uh, in regards to the characters that were announced. So uh, who wants to take that away? It's very interesting on the reveals side. Um, there were some choices made. Uh, I don't know if I agree with all of them. The The big reveal, if you all saw, was the plastic Sarastus Knight Lancer, which is a really good-looking kit, in my opinion. Uh, what do you guys think of this kit? Yeah, it looks amazing. It looks, it looks as good as the other plastic knight kits. Yeah, it really is a stunning model. I do wonder how much play it's going to see for Heresy, just because night houses haven't been super popular. Hopefully this will be the thing that kind of kickstarts them back up into the limelight. Yeah, that's kind of the issue with there being so many tank models out there now. You've got a lot of options for taking down other super heavies. And so I, I wonder if it's going to just have a big target painted on it, or if that sh- if it's uh, loadout's going to really uh, help it survive. I'm probably going to get one just because the model's super awesome. So I'm uh, overall, I'd say it's a win. Yeah, I um, I had a very interesting conversation with Martin Emery from the Fires of Betrayal podcast uh, over the weekend. And we were talking about this night in particular and what he thinks, and I'm inclined to agree based on his argument, is that I think this model is honestly made for 40K. I think... You know, based on he kind of gave me a little bit of inside baseball on how they break down their studios and how sales get allocated. And so I think what happened here is you have something that the studio knew that heresy players might buy, but would be really popular in 40K and would drive some of that towards their product codes. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of goes along the lines of one of the first kits that came out for Space Marines was the Leviathan. And there's a reason for that. It's very playable in 40k, or at least it was until the new edition. We'll see how it holds up. I certainly wasn't impressed with the night that Martin ran against me in the game that we played back when I was down in Dallas. It turned out to be incredibly fragile. As far as fielding a knight in heresy, I think that's a lot of points that you could spend on something else. Yeah, well, I think that the knights in... uh... In Heresy, I think you really need to be playing the household. You need to be playing the entirety of of knights, not just an auxiliary one, because they just go up too quickly. They're such a target that uh, you can't... Because, I mean, Paul, you had a similar experience 
when you use your knight in our game, we we learned that when it comes to the lion versus a knight, the lion wins. Another thing that I thought was really weird, I'm running the Crusader variant with all the ranged gear. And what I didn't realize until I showed up to the game is everything's AP4 on that loadout. So I was shooting Space Marines and they were taking their armor saves. It was very strange. You wouldn't think a Space Marine would save a 75 millimeter cannon shot, but you know, that's the game apparently. All right. Well, let's move on to the next reveal here, uh, which I know we're all super excited about. It's more Imperial Dorks and Sons of Horus. Uh, what did you guys think of these two captains? I think the models look good. That's about it for me. Yeah, there were some memes that went out uh, with the the with the yellow fella, and uh, it looked fine. I, I don't I don't play those armies, so I probably won't be picking those up unless I get a good idea for a conversion. But that's fine. Yeah, I begrudgingly enjoy the Terminator Captain for the Imperial Fist guys. Um, I think it's a very well sculpted model. Um, I like the pose on it. Um, it just it, it looks like a very good model to me. The Sons of Horus one looks very Sons of Horus. Uh, he is the most Sons of Horus model to ever Sons of Horus. Paul, I, I, I want to get your thoughts here because I know you have a lot to say about this particular reveal from, from Warhammer Fest. Yeah. Um, so kind of going off of it, I, I agree. I think the Terminator guy looks pretty good. It's pretty standard Imperial fist. It's just, you know, an up filigreed character model pose is good. Weapon loadout looks good. Uh, the sons of Horus guy, uh, Viren, it's a little weird to me because they're trying to pull that Reaver aesthetic, but they're putting him in what looks like a modified Mark six. So he's matching the new models, which is fine. Uh, I don't know if it's just the picture, but like the proportions look a little weird to me. Like his legs look a little chunky and his arms look a little too small, but uh, you know, I guess I'm just nitpicking at this point. It is a pretty good model. Yeah, we were kind of talking about this earlier. I thought it was weird that they're releasing these characters. You know, they're from the new Siege of Chthonia book, which just released when Heresy 2.0 came out. Um, and I read it, and it's like a short story anthology, and these are the two characters in one of the short stories. And it was a decent short story, but it just seems strange that they would go with these guys when we're missing a lot of other like big named characters like Axaman still doesn't have a model, you know, and I'm sure that the reason why they picked these two guys is the next book is the siege of Chthonia. And they wanted something from that book to tie it together. But yeah, I don't know. I almost would have preferred they pick a different campaign setting and come out with characters that I think more players would have wanted, but I suppose that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. I don't, uh, I understand why they're doing this. I don't love the fact that we still have legions who don't have any special name characters. Um, I think Iron Warriors being one there. Um, I think there's a couple on the loyalist side as well. Do Iron Hands have a, a named character? They do not. I was looking at that a while back. They don't. Yeah. So you know, it, it would be nice to get those those legions a little bit of love, or hell, even you know, even some of those. Get their get their unique Praetor model before we get another Sons of Horus and Imperial Fist guy. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we don't haven't even got we haven't even gotten the tank commander guys yet. They're still in the pipe. Um, and we're getting more of these characters revealed. So like I said, I like the models. Um, I'm excited for, for you, Paul, as a Sons of Horus player, you're going to be flush for options. So uh, maybe he'll bring something cool to your army that you've kind of been missing. Hopefully that'll be the case. But uh, anyway, should we should we move to the next reveal here, which uh, I think we're probably going to spend the most amount of time here on the roadmap. And assault marines, kind of. Okay, so we got the Vindicator Siege Tank coming up. Did we talk about that yet? Uh, well, that's already been teased. So was, yeah, why don't we? That's what, what I thought. Okay. Yeah, why don't we run down? We can run down the. Do you want to talk about the assault marines first or the timeline first? Uh, let's talk about the timeline overall. So for for plastic, it's going to go Vindicator Knight. They're going to do a couple more Lords of War, a Dreadnought, another Armor Mark update. So that might be Mark II. I know there are a bunch of guys in like a couple of discords that I'm in and one of the Gilded servers I'm in talking about how they want Mark II armor kits. So that would be kind of interesting. Uh, they've teased a Mystery Army, Army and an Assault Squad and then a Legion Command Squad and Melee Weapons. Well, and let's be clear on on when these things are, are teased for people who aren't looking at the timeline as they're listening to this. So, spring is the Vindicator Siege Tank. This spring. So, yeah, spring is the Vindicator Siege Tank. We've already seen that. Uh, no surprises there. Summer is the Night Lancer. This, again, makes me lean towards this is meant for 40k more than 30k because, obviously, 10th edition 40k is coming out. Wouldn't it be nice if there was just a Night Lancer right around launch for those guys? More Lords of War, a Dreadnought, and an Armor Mark update. And this is in the autumn. More Lords of War, what do you guys think more Lords of War means? I'm almost wondering if stuff like the Flyers are going to get plastic sponsons, kind of like what they did with the tanks. So you'll get Resin Thunderhawk now with plastic Spartan quad laz yeah that that's that's one of those ones where i'd be like cool it's plastic okay so i'm looking at the book so i doubt that we would get a mastodon honestly that's a huge kit probably going to be plastic for the foreseeable future same with the thunderhawk not holding my breath for plastic of that the stormbird is also a large model correct it's bigger than the thunderhawk what about the, do we have a Falchion yet? We do not. No, but it was included in that recent plastic quote-unquote update with the Mastodon and a few other tanks. Yeah, which is why I don't actually think that these Lords of War are going to be Space Marines. I actually think this might be another knight. Oh, to see, I was thinking it would go with the um, with the, with the human army. The, what do they call that? The Imperial Guard? Yeah, guard, uh, solar militia, and yeah, mechanicum, but they've already got a lot of plastic Lord of War options because the Bane Blade chassis and all the various accoutrements are mostly plastic at this point. I could see like doing a Charybdis assault claw. Yeah, a plastic other... one. That would be yeah. that'd nice. Be, that'd be really nice. That would actually be great. That would be something wonderful. Because although the... it's not a Lord of War. Okay, so probably yeah. not then. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll we'll continue to speculate as as we roll into the fall. 
Uh, for Dreadnought, which is the other thing, uh, one of the other things listed for a fall release, this has got to be the Dorito Dreadnought. Yeah, the Potbelly, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, it's got to be. Which would be I, awesome. I think it's a really cool chassis. Yeah, same here. I, I don't see them doing like a new chassis variant. Right? I just think that they're going to update one of the resin ones. And then lastly is the Armor Mark update in the fall. Now, if you guys look, are you guys on the article for the with the, the roadmap on it? Because they included a piece of artwork right above that roadmap. Those guys look like they're wearing Mark III. So that's why I am leaning towards Mark III will be our armor mark update. Yeah, they'll just resize it to be... Upscale it and maybe... Um, and what maybe I think would have be great... Be compatible with the upgrade kits. That's that's exactly what I'm, I'm hoping for. Um, I think that would be really great to have if the upgrade kits all worked for that. I would love to see Mark II. That's not Mark II armor. I was kind of thinking maybe they would go ahead and do a, a horsey set, like the, the Mark V, where it would just be a sprue that had a few Mark V bits, like the helmet, the shoulder pad, the greaves. Then you could mix and match that with the other sets. That would almost be too good, though, so I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm also holding out hope for Mark III because I want to start my Iron Warriors, and they got to be Mark III. Um, what do you guys think of the sculpts for those assault Marines then? They're Mark six. Well, that's, yeah. So that's the next thing on our timeline. Uh, winter release is the assault squad, which we saw those CAD renderings of. They look fine to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look good. They look fine. I know, again, a lot of the guys I have talked to complain about the beaky helmets. Like, again, they want the, the older marks, the more, uh, swap your fucking helmets. Yeah, yeah, I know like it's the easy ones. Swap the helmets. It's like, that easy, but yeah. but I hear a lot of complaints about uh, the the anti beaky crowd. I could give a shit uh, personally, but there are complainers out there. I think the the Heresy era jump packs are cool. Uh, they're not quite the. Uh, I I also like the. the I think Paul on that um, the Moratat that you have. You put the or sorry Maniple the Moratat you have. You put like the big single engine jump pack on that. That's when they came with the kit. That looks awesome. I I really like that kit. So, but the I think the big dual engines that they have on these look or big dual thrusters or whatever they look pretty cool to me. Yeah, the single turbine that's supposed to be Mark Four, isn't it? I think if I so. remember right. And then Mark Three is the one that has the like big turbines on the sides. Yeah, almost kind of looks, looks like, like a really old jet. Yeah. Yeah, I I like them. I like the fact that they they aren't overly dynamic um i yeah. like that nobody's leaping off of a tactical rock because that's always looks dumb to me to they look like they look they look like there's some weight to them yeah uh what do you guys i'm interested in this kind of like this breastplate type thing like it looks like a plate on top of the plate what do you guys think of that mm-hmm. yeah so it looks like they've got tactical harness basically that goes over the shoulders and underneath the arms, and then it connects to a whole a uh, whole other plate in front of their chest. Not not the standard uh, kind of look that we're used to. Interesting choice. I I'm not sure that I love that, but I don't necessarily hate it either. It's hard uh, to say because it's just the CAD rendering, but it does make the chest look very empty. 
I'm so used to either having cross straps or some sort of emblem well, you know, on the front. So it is. If weird you look at like the Mark Seven, the 40k Assault Marines, they have that cross strap, and I've always kind of liked that. You know, because it always in my mind, you know, I think of the old Space Marine game, which you know, Space Marine Two, waiting for it. Um, but I, I always, you know, when you would finish with the jump pack and that, he would just hit that that button on the center and it would fall off. And I, I always kind of like that. Like I figured, you know, that's something a space Marine would do. All right. My, my jump pack is out. I'm just going to dump it and keep going because now it's, that's net. It's just extra weight at that point. So I was like that kind of thinking that is like a quick release. What do you guys think of a winter release for these guys? It's a long time to wait for a model that we've already been waiting a long time for. Yeah. That that was my thought. It's almost like it makes me wonder if they had something in the pipeline, but all of the sculpts were bad or didn't look right, and so they had to start from ground zero. I I don't know. It just seems odd that such an obvious choice would wait so long. It really is weird that it it felt like they were padding out their timeline for a while with the the tank releases for so long. And I, I don't know why they would ham-handedly release stuff that way like why wouldn't they break up armor with something else from time to time and uh what was it a couple months ago when they did the the melee add-on kits that was just chain swords they said melee is on the way and when we get this update it's not until next spring so you know we're still a year out on well i'll complain about that when we get there but you know the if you wanted to, I think I was pricing it out. the The five man squads on Forge World for Assault Marines are like seventy five dollars a piece, and you can run them in a block of twenty. So you will lose your ass if you try to make a legal assault squad with just the Forge World kits. So to make us wait this long is pretty ridic- ridiculous. I, I don't know why. I, I remember reading an old White Dwarf article about the the process time to get these plastic kits into production, and it is about a year or longer so i guess i'm not surprised it takes that long it just it's one of those situations where you're like well you should have started six months ago but they were doing other things six months ago so i almost wonder if and this is kind of tin hat paul moment here but i do wonder if they did not plan on heresy being as big as it was especially with what we've seen in a lot of the kits it feels like they were planning on this being another Betrayal on Calf Burning of Prospero box, where people would buy the Age of Darkness box and then drop out, which did happen in pretty significant amounts. But I think there's also been a pretty large upswell of players that they weren't expecting. And I think the reason why they didn't do a lot of the infantry stuff is if you're a player from 1.0, you probably already have a lot of that stuff. The things you're not going to have are all the big tanks. And so I think it was, we're going to put out this age of darkness box. We'll get a big upswell of people buying it. And then that'll drop off. And then we can come out with like the niche kits that 1.0 players didn't have, and they'll be fine. And everyone will be fun. And what happened instead is they're six months in and they're having all these people like, where are assault Marines? And they're like, Oh crap, we need to make assault Marines now. And this is like, as soon as they can get it to us. And I think that's also why they did the resin kit. Because they're like, uh, here's something just to tide you over for the next year. <laughs> well, let's be real. That resin kit's not even out yet. Yeah. 
I haven't seen anything about it since they teased it. So I think that's another source of frustration on my end for and a that's, anyway. Yeah, it's not listed on the, the resin side um, uh, of this timeline. I assume it's going to come in new characters and upgrades, which means it could be coming su- summer, winter, or spring. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's kind of jump from Assault Marines here. And let's talk Mystery Army release. And by the way, Paul, we always welcome the tinfoil hats here. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're big fans. Put it on. As far as the Mystery Army goes, I don't foresee it being a Xenos Army. I know some guys are hopeful for that. I just don't see GW uh, going out on the limb for a Xenos Army and Heresy. I'm guessing Demons. That's, that's where I'm going to put my money. I thought See, they already they announced, already announced demons. that demons are coming in the summer. Oh, so I'm right. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you're off by two seasons, but sure. I, I think, and again, I have nothing to base this on. I think it's Dark Mechanicum. I hope so. Yeah, that would I be can see sweet. that. I can't really think of any other major Imperium faction that's missing currently. Uh, I had one brought up to me that I thought was a better idea, but I'm sticking to my first guess, and that was a fully fleshed out Sisters of Silence range. (laughs) I I mean, maybe. I think it would be weird for them to release a second army book for Sisters of Silence when they already have the Imperium book, even if they did come out with new models. Mm Mm-hmm. This makes it sound like it's supposed to be a full army release as opposed to an upgrade. Yeah, that's why I'm hoping it's Dark Mechanicum. And kind of going back to the Autumn one, sort of in line with that, they tease that a resin Primarch is going to get released, but we already have all the Primarchs, so I have to wonder what that's going to be. I was wondering if it was going to be a Demon Primarch, like are we going to get Demon Angron? Because I think if memory serves, he was the first one to ascend, wasn't he? No, that was Fulgrim. Yeah. I think it's Fulgrim, Angron, Magnus is after that. And then Magnus Morgoth. is kind of go a weird road to be yeah. a demon primarch. God, I get so yeah, but he is story. he is ascended before Terra. Yeah. I know that much. But uh, well let's okay, so let's do the last part of the plastic and then we can jump full into because really the only thing worth talking about on the resin side is the Primarch, so Last thing, next spring, we are getting a Legion Command Squad and melee weapon kits. This one, I was like, wow, these are coming late. Uh, Not the Legion Command Squad, that's fine. Um, We can talk more about that if you guys want, but I want to talk about melee weapons first. Like, this this feels like this this should have been... I guess I'm excited for the Command Squad, because I assume that's going to have a banner bearer in it. And that's one thing that's been really hard to find. Even on eBay looking for bits or finding stuff to 3D print, I just haven't found a lot of stuff that looked like a Mark III, Mark IV, Mark V, Mark, even Mark VI banner. And um, I kind of wanted to run one of those in one of my armies, and it's just been impossible to find anything like that. And the one on Forge World was either out of print or super expensive, so I didn't get that. But I'd say there's some worth there. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I'm most looking forward to with the Legion Command Squad is the bits. I don't know that I'd ever really run a Legion Command Squad. Command Squads kind of have the problem of every Legion also has a retinue that you can take, and the retinues just kind of outshine them. Do you think so, that might come with an apothecary in it? 
or a tech marine. That would be nice. Uh, the 40k, the 40k command squad box comes with an apothecary, I think. Yeah, they do. I would wonder if they would have them in the command box though, because those don't come as command unit upgrades. They're separate entities now, um, either as consoles or as dedicated elite choices. I don't know if it'd be in the command box. So my hope for this box would be that it would include enough bits that you could make five guys in whatever configuration, but you would have all the bits there to either make the command squad or pimp them out to each be a centurion. And you, so you could build your new Master of Signal because the Forge World one is pretty, pretty lame. Uh, you could build a cool champion, you know, any of the other... Uh, any of the other centurions that we don't really have a good model for just give us the ability to kind of piece together our own more in a solid kit. I mean, I know that you can make any kind of model that you want, but to to have a good kit that is, um, I have to wonder if they would do something like that. It seems that their MO for heresy is to release a very generic kit with, a basic loadout and then do the upgrade sprues. I almost wonder if this is why the melee weapon upgrades are coming out at the same time as the command squad. So the box will come with probably nine guys, a banner and like a very basic loadout, like combat shields and chain swords. And then if you want power weapons, you have to buy the melee upgrades to spruce up your command squads. Cause I think if they start putting options in the box, it would kind of, stray away from how they've been doing the rest of heresy. Yeah, we really need to write down these predictions so we can check them in a year. That's yes. why you just go back and listen to the old episode, Manipul. Yeah, we got to start a heresy bingo card. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh let's get to the the one thing that's really worth talking about on the resin side of this timeline, and that is we are getting a new Primark. Um take it to the bank right now. I'm putting it in. It's Ferris Manus after Istvan. <laughs> That's cold. And you could just make that model. <laughs> That's like the easiest conversion ever. Now, so I want to talk about a lot of people are speculating it's a demon Primark. And I really hope that they don't go this route. Because if we get a if they decide to bring demon Primarchs into the game. I really just want them to go with the 40k models because those models look very good. So I, d I don't want to have to pick between, oh, if I want Demon Angron from 40k, no, I got the Demon Angron from 30k. That's just extra, and I, I, I don't like that. So I'm really hoping it's not that that's not the route that they take. I would almost wonder then if they're going to do Fulgrim seeing as he's the only one of the four that doesn't have a plastic. So maybe they come out with resin fulgrim, and then they do rules for the plastic ones to be ported over, maybe? At the risk of sounding selfish, I would take a new Gilliman model. Because 30k Gilliman model is a third of the size of the 40k Gilliman model. And it... I don't know. He kind of, to me, he looks a little dated. It's a nice model. I need to paint it, but you know, I, I wouldn't mind getting a, a more 
scaled sculpt because he's smaller than the other Primark models, the way I understand it. Him and Angron, I've heard that the Angron model is tiny. Yeah, Angron's really small, but it's because he was the first Primark sculpt to come out. And I don't think they had really discussed the plan for scale creep. So here's my pushback on Yawarik. Um, Gilliman really didn't change throughout the heresy. So when we saw like the new Horus model, that was Horus Ascended. And so that's after the Doom of Molech. That is after he gets, you know, all juiced up on Chaos. That's that's why it's different. So I have a few different thoughts here. Obviously, the Demon's Primarchs are the obvious pick. Um, I want to go a little more nuanced than that. What would you guys think of Vulcan Reborn? Yeah, I would have to wonder what they would change on the model. Because as far as I remember, he keeps all of the same like loadout like equipment and stuff, doesn't he? He doesn't change anything. And his appearance doesn't really change necessarily. It's more of a character story kind of thing that changes. I'm trying yeah. to think of who else actually like physically changes where a new model could be used to represent it. The only ones I could think of would be like Korax post Istvan five, but yeah, because be post Istvan, kind of a... like he doesn't have his, yeah, he loses opinions. He, has... he loses his weapons. It's basically just him and his armor, but that would well, be a so weird my choice. Other, my other thought here was actually, it was not that it was demon Korax. Yeah, but that's like way post scouring that that happens. So that would put us like well outside of the heresy era. Yeah. That's like post Codex Astartes. That's post like separate first founding. That happens way later. It would be cool, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's really fitting in the timeline. Well, I mean, you guys are probably right. It's probably a demon Primarch, and that's boring. So I wanted to <laughs> think of some outside of the box things here. Yeah, Again, spicy I updates. I would take a, a Gilliman resculpt. That's just me. Stop trying to I, make a Gilliman resculpt happen. It's or, not gonna happen. How about like Rogel Dorn standing on a wall? I mean, that's kind of what he's already doing. I, I was going to say, Robodorn is already the most boring Primark model, so... Yeah. I was going to say, I saw some memes of that where it's like, well, you know, the way GW's going, it's going to be a third Horus Ascended and or Robodorn 2.0. What if it's Omegon? Oh, oh holy shit, cool. didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and it comes on a base, so you could slot in Alpharius, so it's a, a diorama. <laughs> All right, well, like you said, my initial prediction, I'm sticking with it. Postus to Van Ferris Manus. Take it to the bank. <laughs> I'm thinking new Angron model, maybe. Yeah, if I had to guess, it'd be either Fulgrim or Angron. All right, well, there was one more reveal from, uh, from Warhammer Fest, and I actually want to save that for the end of the episode in our Plundering the Vaults segment. So... I think we're good to go to move past uh, move past Warhammer Fest. Any re- closing thoughts on the reveals? No, I think I can wrap up. I'm just there. glad that they're still supporting the game. Looks like they have a roadmap. I, I love to see a roadmap. Even if some of the stuff was farther out than I wanted, um, like I can kind of plan what I'm going to be budgeting for in the coming year. So that's all right. 
Yeah, it, it is nice to, to know what's coming down the line. Going from tank to tank got really boring for me. Yeah. Now that we know what to expect, it'll be a little nicer. All right. Well, uh, next, I think we'll uh, we'll jump into. I ran a Adeptus Titanicus event this past weekend, and it was a lot of fun. And so I'm going to talk about it with you guys. So I had gotten in touch. You know, I've gotten kind of involved with some of the the local heresy community here, and in a conversation a couple months back, folks had said, hey. You know, we've got the stuff to support a Titanicus event. We just don't have anybody to run it. And I said, I will happily run this thing because Titanicus is one of my favorite games and I never see it enough. Uh, so so let's, let's do this. And I decided to make it a narrative event based around the Doom of Molech. Now, there's a couple of selfish reasons for that. My Titan Legio is the Murder Lords. They are featured during the battle for Molech and then never mentioned again. So I wanted I wanted to give my boys some time in the sun. Also, it's one of the two narrative books I own before the campaign or before the campaign compendium came out. So I was like, I'll be able to adapt the missions out of that pretty easily. So it ended up being a three round event at 1750 points. I took three of the narrative missions out of the doom of Molech book. And then I kind of modified them a bit, but I kept it centered around uh, the battle for Lupercalia, that which is the main city on Molech and the one that has the warp gate underneath it, where uh, Horus goes and gets all juiced up on chaos. It ended up being an absolutely resounding success. In my opinion, um, I posted a lot of the pictures in the discord. I think you guys have seen it. Everybody had a lot of fun. I ended up, I did not plan to play, but I ended up playing all three rounds as a ringer. Had a lot of fun. Everybody seemed to enjoy it. Some beautifully painted Titans there. And overall, it was just an absolute blast. And uh, something that I really am hoping to to do again. Yeah, the photos you posted, it looked really good. How many players was it total? So I ended up having seven players, um, and I had a couple of players. One of them showed up just for round one and then had to leave. Then another guy showed up after lunch uh, for round two. So that kind of swapped itself right there. We even had uh, one guy sub in for me as the ringer because he just was like, hey, this looks interesting. Can I jump in and, and try it out? And So we had him play as the ringer for, uh, for part of a round. And then when he had to go, I, I jumped back in and took the Titans over. So the main goal of the event was to foster and grow the community. And I hope we were successful there. I think we were. But uh, it was a lot of a lot of fun. Really good time. Lots of people yelling engine kill. Now, as a long beard, I like a good story. What was the basic storyline behind the campaign? I know the idea of what the, the book says, but what was your take on it? Yeah, so um, it was it was based on the the three. There's three scenarios in uh, the Doom of Molech book that are specifically around the main city of Lupercalia. Um, the first one is the initial attack by the traitors, where they're just trying to break through the loyalist lines. Um, we did that, uh, and you know, built into that scenario, the loyalist player 
if you're not familiar with Molech, there's an Imperator Titan there in Lupercalia defending the capital city. So we gave the Loyalist player a free artillery bombardment every round that they could just drop on uh, on the traitors as the traitors are just making a mad dash across the board. So very, very themey there. In the second round, um, as you know, that, that Imperator ends up getting destroyed due to treachery. And so in the second round, the first thing that happened was we started with an objective on the center of the board. It scattered, and then I calculated, based on what the book says the size of a reactor of an Imperator Titan is, I calculated a meltdown of a Titan that that thing scattered and blew up. Now, it, I, I was playing as the ringer. That thing scattered straight back at me at the beginning of the game and exploded. I lost both of my knights, one of my warhounds, and my warlord. Top of turn one. It was hilarious. <laughs> I actually that gave that brutal. guy a good run for his money with only three titans, too. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then the final, the final match, you know... Three games in one day is a tall order for most folks. So the last one was we I'd included a bunch of optional rules about kind of the city being on fire and having all those environmental effects and stuff. But it really was just a straight up death match. And I think that a lot of the players kind of skipped those. And I made them optional specifically because I was like, hey, it's the last match of the day line up, kill each other, have a good time, and then let's get out of here. But if you want the real theminess of it, here's these rules to, to do that. Um, so I don't think anybody actually ended up using them, but uh, it was nice to have. And uh, overall, it was like I said, it was a pretty good time. We did every round. I tried to pair it up based on who was winning their games, but I kept it loyalist versus traitor until the final round because I wanted everyone to have a different opponent. So it just didn't work out. I had to have one table be loyalist on loyalist and another table be traitor on traitor. It just worked out that way. But I, I think it still, I think it still worked in most everybody's favor. It ended up being a loyalist victory overall. Uh, the, the loyalist legios were able to hold, although the traitors did end up claiming we, we used a scale uh, called glory points, which was, you know, based on the scale of a Titan you destroy, you you get that many glory points. So a Warlord being scale 10 was worth 10. And the traders absolutely blew it out of the water on glory points because a lot of them weren't even playing the scenario. They were like, we're here to murder Loyalist Titans, and they did it. <laughs> Sounds very in line with the yeah. heresy narrative. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I actually had one player draw in one of his scenarios because he didn't realize that as soon as one player got tabled, the scenario ended on the spot and he hadn't gone and claimed the objective. He had just been killing enemy Titans. So he tabled his opponent and ended up in a draw because <laughs> he didn't play the. And he, he was the, some feedback was given about, Hey, you know, this should be an automatic win. And I was like, Hey, it's not. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. But yeah, overall, ton of fun. And uh, like I said, I'm looking to make it a more regular thing down here. I really want to foster um, AT, particularly with some announcements um, from GW and stuff. Did you, did you do any prize support or uh, go out for supper afterwards? Anything fun like that? 
I did. Uh, so I did a few different prizes. I had so everybody paid a ten dollar entry fee, and the bare minimum that you got was you got that ten dollar entry fee back as um, as a gift card to to the store. So the the $10 fee for me, it wasn't really about me collecting money at all. It was about, hey, this, this store is providing tables for us and being a venue. I want this money to go back to them. So had people pay in. So the bare minimum that people walked away with was uh, a $10 gift card, their entry fee back in gift card form. Then I did um, three $25 gift cards in the form uh, and those those went to uh, Best Painted, which was entirely subjective, judged by me. And then also Most Glory, so Most Engine Kills, really. The biggest engine kills as well. And then Best Sports, which you know I thought was one that I really wanted. That was voted by the players. Um, I was a little bit worried that I was potentially going to end up with a tie, but um, the player who won Best Sports absolutely blew it out of the water every single player that played him picked him as best sports which i think is great you know that that speaks volumes about that person who also won the wooden spoon which was my last uh major prize support and my wooden spoon award was actually the most expensive uh if we're talking monetary wise out of the the entire event which was it was a reaver titan uh that also came with an eight hour commission paint job um, from my friend paint station minis, who does some of my commission work here in the DFW area. So he wanted to support the event and that's, that's how he did it. Uh, So the player that came in last place got a reaver and built in with that reaver was a commission paint job. That is some really cool prize support. I, I remember you and I talked about it. And I was like, do a couple of gift vouchers and then maybe a Titan. But the commission painting addition to that is really cool. That's an awesome idea. That's a lot better than the last price, the last place price support that I used to offer for my X-Wing tournament I used to run. We had one that was a, a, a picture of George Lucas quoted as saying, Jar Jar is the key here. If we get Jar Jar to work, this thing is going to be great. <laughs> And that then, is that is in the, the making of Phantom Menace. He actually says that. And then the next year, I actually got a buddy of mine to do a custom, um, like a, a nice size model of a crashed X-Wing with a guy in a, in a pilot suit standing outside of it, shaking his head. And that was the last place award. So it was actually rather coveted. Well, so one of the things that I wanted to make it very clear to um, the the community here is very leery of the word tournament and they did not, I, you know, it was made clear to me that, Hey, if you want to do a tournament, you know, the community is really not going to support it. And I, I, you know, I needed those guys support. Um, and and they really came through for me in a big way. Um, so we, we built it as a narrative event. And so one of the major, most important things that I did was there was no prize for first place. You win all your games. Awesome. There's no prize for that. Your prize was winning. Yeah, your prize was winning. So that's uh, that's how that went down. I I wanted to, again, as I said, my, my main goal of this was to build and foster the community. So I felt like the person who came in last place should get the best prize because you came out and you got kicked in for three games straight 
I, I think you should walk away with something there because you were a good sport and stuck that through. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely leery of the competitive play style too. I, I think five of my worst tabletop experiences have all been at tournaments. So Well thanks for that was sounds like a uh, great event. I look forward to getting down there maybe for next year. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm hoping to make this a more regular thing. I do if I can get this to kind of get, get a little bit bigger and, and become more of a thing, I do actually want to do a tournament at some point. Um, I will be co opting the name of our event that we did together a couple of years ago at texas titanicus i that that is my dream is to have legion cast presents at texas titanicus at one of the conventions here i I would love to make that happen but we'll see is that where we're going to have the linked games of battlefleet gothic inquisitor 30k and titanicus and whatever else we want in an rpg at the same time uh let's let's walk before we can run here okay Speaking of Battlefleet Gothic work, you have a 3D printer now. I expect to see a fleet up and running very oh, shortly. I am looking for STLs. I've, I've found a few that I like, but I haven't committed to anything yet. There's some really awesome STLs out there. So, Yeah, be prepared to dive down a pretty deep rabbit hole when you start I, getting into ship makes. It's, it's interesting. I am already... I've had this thing for less than four days, and I'm already looking at upgrading to a bigger one. So I want that... Uh, I want that Saturn or, or whatever, but this, this thing has been awesome. So it's, it's a blast to have gotten into already. All right. Well, I think uh, we could go ahead and take a short break here and then we'll jump back in for some Fulgrim's quest and plundering the vaults. Oh yeah. So you guys have a whole bunch of materials to read on plundering the vaults. So why don't you do that? And we'll then discuss them all when we get back from break. Sound good? Sounds great. You know, I just love homework. That's what I'm here for. Great. Welcome back, Legionaries. Hope that you had a nice break. On our Fulgrim's Quest today, we want to talk about how we handle test models. As in, if we want to try something new or if we've got an idea for a scheme, how do we go about doing it? So I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants quite a bit. I'm very much driven by whatever inspiration I have at the moment. I'm very often inspired by random things that I see throughout my day or, or out in the wild anyway. Um, I I painted a blue fire Balrog a while back because I was working with an acetylene torch at work for a while. So I tend to see brightness or color in, in different settings, and that's how I apply it to the tabletop. That's kind of the source of my inspiration, but what about you guys? How do you kind of uh, find a scheme or kind of a color palette that you think can be applied to the tabletop? So when I started on my Alpha Legion, I wasn't entirely sure what paint was going to be the best for the color that I wanted. But I also didn't want to waste a bunch of models uh, going through various color schemes to see which I liked best. So I had the idea that one of my squads would be of a bunch of veterans or other guys who've been taken from, from different campaigns and ended up on the same squad, but their armor might be different colors. So... 
I went to the local hobby shop and I just bought various shades of blue and green. And I, I took, I took paints, inks, and contrast. And then I knew I wanted to do a silver base coat to get some kind of uh, luminescence or glitter on the final product. And so I, once I had uh, base coated them, I just started putting each of those colors on the models. And once I, I'd look at them, I would then send you guys a picture and say, which one do you think looks most like Alpha Legion? I'm considering this, considering that. And then I also looked at it under different colors of light. So the light at your painting desk ideally should have a yellow bulb somewhere, like an incandescent bulb, and a, uh, a halogen or an LED that gives that blue light. The two of them together will give you the best kind of, I think, natural light looking sort of uh, finish. And then you can get a better sense of how it's going to look in those different those different areas. So once I settled on one of the colors, then I went through and finished cleaning up the models, putting them all together. And with the the armor trim, and if and then I picked out a highlight color of like a, a bright green for some of the hydras, that was still able to tie that squad together, even though they all had different shades of their color on them. And I was happy with how that turned out. And I did five models, and then out of those five, I was able to pick the one I wanted. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not exactly famous for having a test model. I'm more of a uh, F it, I'll do it live kind of guy. Um, but what I do to, when I'm trying to plan out a color scheme is I'll usually I'll just go on the old YouTube and find a you know tutorial that I like, or maybe a couple and mix them together. Um, so like for my, for my dark angels, I used a very, for the troops, I used a very quick base, um, from a channel called, uh, Sven's painting, I believe Sven's painting, something like that. Um, and then for my characters, I used a black Templar tutorial by Richard Gray, um, and kind of just, you know, adapted some colors and added some more reds in there and you know, less whites and things like that. So, um, I don't usually have like a, a test model. If I, if I'm going with something new, um, what I'll usually do is I'll paint a unit first and say, okay, well, you know, that either worked or this part worked and this part didn't. And that way it's just a unit. And I'll try to do units before I do characters. Yeah, with uh, mine, I do tend to use two or three test models before I start batching the army. I do something similar to Brandon's where I will look online for any sort of reference, um, whether it's GW published or third party. Stuff like Vince Venturella is a really good resource for anyone looking for paint schemes and uh, that kind of stuff. Um, I do usually try to get at least one test model done. Um, just because reference photos will look great, videos will make it look easy, um, but until you pick up a brush and really put it on a model, you're not going to know how it turns out. Um, I've definitely abandoned painting full armies uh, in the past because I got in over my head and picked a paint scheme that I thought looked great on paper and just couldn't execute myself. Um, painting that, you know individual model or a single squad really helps to uh, prevent that from happening down the line. I think for my Sons of Horus, I painted probably th four different paint schemes before I settled on the one I'm working with now. Um, and so, you know, I had just some random bits 
and Marines lying around. And I just kind of cobbled them together into something that would, you know, hold the paint and look quote, kind of right, even if they were missing options or things and just kind of put the paint on there to see how it went. Especially in, you know, tabletop hobbying, you tend to accumulate, you know, additional bodies that you can just kind of mess with. So as long as you don't throw your stuff out, you'll always have something to work with. So one thing when I was trying to teach myself how to do the blue fire effect, I went to my local hobby store and I picked up a bunch of the cheap Reaper bones, fire elementals, and I practiced on those until I got pretty okay at that. And then Brandon, you had sent me a box of, uh, from Warhammer, uh, Age of Sigmar. What's the skirmish game? It was some Warcry guys. Some Warcry guys that had fire coming off of them, and I got really good on those. So that's how I was able to fine-tune that technique. And then another one that really inspired me to try something new is music. So I listen to a ton of different music, and the song Emerald Sword by Rhapsody is so cool, I learned how to paint emerald swords for my 40K Space Marines. So listen to some heavy metal Sourcing the inspiration is the, the biggest part of wanting to try something new for me. How important is it for you guys to try to match something that's in the book? So if you see a picture of a model of a particular legion or a particular effect that you want to match that exactly, or do you always want to put your own sort of twist on it? How do you handle that? So I normally, I very frequently shy away from book art. I think the creativity is one of the biggest parts of the hobby, so I try not to match it exactly. In the past, like in other games, I've done my own paint schemes. Like 40K, I've got my homebrew space marines. Titanicus and Horus Heresy are the only two armies I've done that are close to the book art. I have put my own spin on them. They're, they look a little rougher, maybe. Maybe it's because I'm not a great painter, but um, with the... Uh, the splotching technique or the stippling technique on the, on the ultramarines. I don't know that anybody else has any quite like that. So I try not to match the book art exactly because like I said, exercising your own creativity is a big part of the hobby for me. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of the heavy metal paint style. I think that they're, you know, it's fine, especially when you're learning how to paint, it's good. Um, but uh, I, I try to kind of change it up from there. Particularly, I do not like edge highlighting. So I try to avoid edge highlighting wherever possible, be that dry brushing, stippling, airbrushing, um, anything of that sort. Um, I do, for Heresy, I definitely go with the Canon color scheme, but I have my own spin on that with, you know, the oil paint and stuff like that, kind of making them look really dirty. Um the only thing that I try to really stick very, very closely to the box art is uh, is Middle Earth. And that's because the box art obviously matches the movies. And, you know, the, they're my favorite movies of all time. So I want my I want my guys to look like how they did in the in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So that's the only one that I'm like very, very particular about. OK, I want to match, you know the warriors of Minas Tirith, you know, they, they had the, the silver armor and the black. I've seen guys do blue, red, stuff like that. And I'm just like, Nope, not for me. Yeah. I think we're sort of tapping into something 
without really naming it, but there is kind of this idea with heresy that it falls under an almost like historical wargaming kind of feel. There's this idea that there is an established uh, palette and build for everything, and so you want to try to match it as closely as possible. Um, Heresy does give you a bit of leeway because it's not an actual true historical setting, so you don't have to worry about, you know, actual historical reference on the color of their pants or anything, but um, there is definitely a motif or an idea behind each legion as to what they should have, but they also give you enough playroom that if you get a little leeway, as long as the main colors are right, you're kind of okay. For me, I think the reference pictures are most helpful for placing the iconography or the different um, squad markings, that sort of stuff, like uh, if there's a stripe or a number or something like that. And I like that, I, I will say that the the Liber Hereticus and the Liber Astartes do have a few of those, but some of the older 40K codexes had plate after plate after plate of examples of, of different chapters and forge worlds and that sort of thing and how they're different, differentiated, not just on color scheme, but on how they were their herald, heraldry. And particularly, uh, and I need to get into uh, painting, painting up my knights, that's a really big thing is where the heraldry goes and how that tells a story about how they've been in combat, where they've been at. So for me, that that part is more important than getting the actual shade of blue or the shade of green right for that particular army. But I think it's fair that if you're going to be running something that is specific, like I'm running Dark Angels or I'm running Alpha Legion or I'm running Ultramarines, that another player could look at that at a glance and say, okay, that's what it is. I'm not a big fan of people proxying and saying, well, these are Marines, but they're actually blood angels. But even though they look like Imperial fists, that that wouldn't really play on the battlefield because that might be a, an unfair advantage where you're planning on one particular defensive strategy, but the enemy then comes and says, oh, no, 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 these guys are something else. That's not really fair. Yeah, that really only bothers me if you're going with another Legion's canon color scheme. So if you have them painted up as ultramarines, I'm going to be thinking about fighting ultramarines. And then you're like, oh, they're actually iron hands. And I'm like, well, that they're blue. So you really threw me off there. And maybe I'm going to play differently. You know, iron hands, are, you know, have more dreadnoughts and they're tougher and stuff like that. Then versus ultramarines have, you know, better coordinated strikes and things. If you're doing your own custom colors, just tell me what they are, and I might ask you a couple more times again, but I, I'd be a lot less upset with it. So once you guys then finish your your test model and you find the one you're going to go with, how often did you remember to write down the paints and the colors that you actually used? Never. I'm still guessing at what blues I'm picking up to do my stippling. Same, same wash, though, so it generally turns out I tend to notate everything down to the milliliter. I still have my custom blue for my 40k Space Marines all marked down and like six different paints I had to mix together to get it. I, I am terrible about it. I've been getting better about writing them down, but I'm pretty bad about it. All right, uh, fellow gamers, you heard it here. Make, make Take notes when you're making your test model. That'll save you doing five more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, well... Did you have something, Paul? Oh, I was just going to say, the only reason why I've gotten so meticulous with it 
is when I, I quit playing for like three or four years and it was actually meeting Brandon that got me back into the hobby and I dusted off a bunch of old models and realized that I have thousands of points of half-painted armies that I couldn't remember what colors I used. And some of the colors didn't even exist anymore. And so, you know, with a lot of the new armies I've been approaching, I got really OCD about marking everything down because it was really frustrating in those first couple of months trying to remember how to paint everything. So the notes help. Do you guys have a favorite paint that GW doesn't make anymore? Or I guess anybody doesn't make anymore. I still have a few of the old inks they used to produce, uh, particularly the flesh wash and the black ink. And there were some effects I can, I could only get through those. Um, I still have a few milliliters left of each of them, but I, pr- I protect it like gold because you can't reproduce that particular shade with any other way. I suppose if I did some experimentation, I could probably figure it out from another brand, but they were really great. I am currently sitting on five brand new pots of Bloodletter glaze from the Citadel paint range. It's an orange glaze paint that I just have. The contrast paints just don't quite have it, and I love that glaze. I went into a uh, friendly local game store and, you know, this was a, about a ha- six months after Contrast came out and they had four pots left. And so I bought all of them on the spot. So there's a really old paint made by Citadel called Necronabis, which they haven't made in, oh, I don't know, probably five to ten years they say that Cantor Blue is supposed to be the new, like, match, but it's not the same to me. I haven't been able to find anything that's close. It just seems to be one of those colors that they just never revitalized and kind of said, here's a close approximation. Uh, other than that, the only other one I can think of is I've been hoarding every Sons of Horus green pot I can find at any store just because, you know, I'm going to need it to paint this army. It was very weird they discontinued it right at the release of 2.0. Yeah, what's even weirder, they only ran those colors for like maybe a year or two. Uh, kind of surprising that they axed those so quickly. Yeah, I I was able to secure about a half dozen pots of the, the layer, and then I got another seven of the airbrush paint, so I should have enough to complete the army, but yeah, it does kind of put a limit on the amount of stuff I'm going to be able to paint before I have to look for alternatives. So we'll see how that goes. What about you, Warwick? Uh, Thinking it over, it's hard to say. I remember having a pot of one of their metallics called Tin Bits. It was really cool. It was kind of like this dark, smoky kind of copper, but I could never quite get it to work the way I wanted to. It was a really cool color just looking at it, but nothing I ever painted with it turned out the way I thought it should. So it was one that I always thought looked cool, but I was never any good with, but that was back when I was not very experienced. Yeah. That one really liked a little bit of highlight on it because it was very dark and that you needed to put it over a, an ink wash. So you need to do an ink wash first and then use that and then another ink wash on it and then a highlight to bring it out. And I think a lot of those old colors still exist under a new name. And if you Google the, GW paint conversion chart. I think there's still an old chart on dakadaka.com that has a lot of those conversions. 
although it's it's getting out of date and hasn't been updated in a long time. But some of the really old pots are still listed on there. And they give, they think, the Vallejo version and a couple others, if there's something similar. I know, like, in, in my line of work, we've had to phase out several pigments because, and I'm not accusing anybody of putting lead in their paint, but in my line of work, we've had to phase out a lot of pigments throughout the years just because they're not manufactured to a modern standard. So a lot of our best pigments had heavy metals in them and we can't use them anymore. So I'm guessing that for similar reasons, a lot of these paint companies have had to reevaluate their formulas as well. well. So that could be a contributing factor to why we don't see a lot of those interesting colors anymore. Like that, that ink you were talking about, Maniples, probably for a similar reason. Yeah, Warwick's really upset because when he eats the paint, they just don't make the good stuff anymore. All the best kind of paint chips have lead in them, just saying. All right, should we move on to our plundering the vault segment? Yeah, I think we're ready. Did you fellas all do your homework on reading up on this new game? And I'm going to tell you the behind it. I did a quick browse. Actually, funny enough, this will be... Probably the first one that I'm going in mostly blind. I didn't really play Epic back. Well, hold in the on, day. hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, don't, don't, don't bury the lead here. <laughs> now we got some another preview from Warhammer Fest. It's just a video a few seconds long that looked like troop formations going across a screen. And so the 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 buzz was that this might be some sort of reboot of Epic. And I'll talk about Epic here in Plundering the Vaults. Mainly this caught our interest, I think, because of our love of Adeptus Titanicus. Now, there have been some rumors bubbling around for a few months that perhaps they'd be increasing the number of units you could use in Adeptus Titanicus, or that game might be shifting into something wider that would involve flyers and smaller units and that sort of thing. So this appeared to be confirmation of that. But with just a, a few seconds of video, it's hard to say. Are the rest of you here willing to confirm that this is in fact an epic tease? Is that what this is? I 100% think it's an epic tease. In that small teaser trailer, it said two things. It said war on on a new scale and command legions. I mean, that just screams epic to me. So what is epic then? Well, go back to your high school prom, fellas. I'm going to talk to the, the Greybeards in particular here. Now, 40K is that gal you took to prom. And then you took her home, made her your wife, and spent the next 30 years arguing with. And over the years, she got a little bit thicker in the middle. But you had an awful lot of kids together. And you're probably never going to leave her. But that's who 40K is. Epic is that gal that you saw as you're leaving the high school gym and she's sitting on the steps smoking a cigarette and you look at her, she looks at you and you both say, Hey, and then your girlfriend says, you need to come take me home now. And then you leave. But many years later, you check her up, check her out on Facebook and you think, wow, you still look amazing. And you wonder about what could have been. That's, I think, what Epic is. Now, Epic came out, uh, well, probably about over 20 years ago. And it is a game that is based on uh, these Epic conflicts in a very small scale. 
This was pretty typical of historical war games of the time with like a six millimeter size troop choice or something around that that size. And a lot of the guys who, who were the original Games Workshop developers were very familiar with these historical games. So it's no wonder that, it, that finally, after many years, they were able to produce a game like this. So does that sound interesting to you, fellas? And should I go into more detail? I think that analogy was pretty spot on. I mean, you've summed it up fairly well. Now I feel defensive because my wife listens to this podcast, so I no longer have any interest in Epic. (laughs) Yeah, let's hear the deets on it. Like I said, this is one that I'm not familiar with. So if you you can find the rules, they are uh, free from different sites online, and I'm not sure about the legality of it, but this is a game that GW has not printed in a long time. And there were a couple different versions of it. There was Adeptus Titanicus, and then there was Space Marine, and then there was Epic Armageddon. And it, it lived on for quite a while in uh, internet form because they did something really amazing with the development of their rules in their kind of their third edition, which was the Epic Armageddon book. The Specialist Games Company, that was a subsidiary of Games Workshop of some sort, did not have a lot of money. And so the developers talk about how they decided to put the rules up online in these an early chat room, and anybody who played the game could, game could give commentary on the current rule set. When they wanted to play test something, they would simply post it online, let guys play with it for a few weeks, and then receive feedback. That would then be turned into the official set of rules. This was apparently a very good community, and they produced a lot of good stuff. And the resources I'm going off of are not just the original rule book, but also my uh, collection of Fanatic magazines, 1 through 10. It had far too short of a run. This was an amazing magazine. And the developers in there are talking about this process of how they were developing this game. And I wish, wish, wish that all modern game developers would use the same method of figuring out their rule set. So what you end up with is a rather simple way to play this game. There are, okay, now Brandon is holding some of the rule books over here. Do you want to see what you have there? Sure, yeah. I've got the um, Epic 40K Getting Started Guide, Epic 40K Rule Book, uh, Epic 40K Battles Book, and Epic 40K Armies Book. So these will, st- I did look online to see if there was stuff available for this on eBay, and the prices were rather reasonable. So if this was something you wanted to get into, even just from a lore standpoint, there's an awful lot of good fluff in there about the different armies, where they come from, and their battle dispositions, and all that sort of thing. And I'm really hoping that we get something similar for the Horus Heresy version of this, where they go, they, they give us some of the same level of detail that was included in this game, even though those books you held up are pretty small. They're, they're packed full of stuff. So the way that you would set, set up an army is that the... You, the you have individual units that are on a little base that is usually not more than 40 millimeters wide and then those individual units are put into formations and the formations are what you activate on your turn so once you have your whole army set up you take turns doing i do my formation you do one of yours and play passes back and forth yeah i just wanted to comment on uh, you can tell that these these books this is a very old games workshop game because 
right in the beginning of of the getting started guide it's got things about how to make your own bases and how to make terrain out of just cardstock and foam and stuff like that stuff that new gw you never see that kind of stuff hardly ever anymore um so that was that was pretty cool to see and we talked in our last podcast uh, hobby roundtable we talked a little bit about terrain but at, at some point we would want to go into more detail about making your own stuff because the stuff in these books looks pretty good honestly it can be made for pennies compared to the uh, hundreds of dollars you would need to fill out a full board of 40k or warhammer now the interesting thing about their release of models was that a lot of the original kits were plastic there was one quote from the Fanatic magazine I was reading where the, the guys were saying that uh, as of the writing of this battle report, the new metal Land Raiders were not yet released. So we were using the old plastic ones. Now, does that sound crazy to you? Yeah, the idea that people would prefer pewter to plastic, it's its a different time. So the, the activation is very interesting to me, and I wish more of the games had that where you would just do one formation or one unit and then play would pass back to your opponent because i think that makes a much more dynamic game we've all had those those big games of heresy or 40k where the enemy just comes in they, they roll better on the dice they get the first round an alpha strike and then you lose a, a quarter or half of your army in the first round and it's no fun and in this case the army that's a much more fluid sort of combat situation that i really enjoy and so I would hope that in this new version, at least that is in there. Now, another important aspect is that when you get shot at, you collect blast markers. This is something that we saw in our discussion about Battlefleet Gothic, where when damage was done to a ship, it would collect a blast marker that would hang in space, creating a set of difficult terrain. And if anybody was touching it, that would reduce their shooting ability. This has an ability on their activation. Because anytime you want your formation to do something, you have to roll a dice. And you have to get a, a number higher than their, I think, initiative value in order for them to actually accomplish the action you set before them. And every time they get a blast marker, that gets harder and harder and harder. And so if your formation is full of units with blast markers on them, the whole formation is going to have a really hard time doing anything at all. And you spend your time getting rid of those blast markers before you can do anything else. And this, it, it doesn't really involve a lot of bookkeeping because the, the little token is right there. It tells you what's going on. You don't have to re remember, oh, this one is at this debuff and this one's at this buff and the back and forth. It's just right there clearly on the board. So what do you guys think about the alternating actions? Does that interest you? Yeah, it, it uh, feels very much like Titanicus plays. Um, even the idea of formations for anybody who's dealt with night households, it's a very similar system. So you're just incorporating even smaller models into the game. I think that's a part of Titanicus that makes the game very balanced. So it's appealing to me as well. Yeah, I think it's ironic. I think, you know, 40K and Age of Sigmar are almost looked at like old because they still use this you go i go system um and we see that as far back as when they were printing epic actively they were doing alternating activations um most of their specialist games are that way uh, i know middle earth is it's really only the mainline games that don't use that alternating activation anymore 
Well, and this really came home to me over the weekend because I was playing a game of 40k and I had put together an Arcs of Omen list with three Bane Blades and the opponent had kind of a more mixed armor list he was running against me. And it was fun because I, I won because the Bane Blades were able to shoot up everything that was on the board. But on the other hand, it was the least fun game I've ever played because it, once I got them out into their initial firing position, I never had to do anything else. I just would shoot, 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 and sit. He'd shoot back a little bit. In my run, I'd shoot again, back and forth. There was very little maneuvering. We traded a few tanks back and forth in the end, but it was the least strategic game I'd ever played. And I thought I was really missing some of that crunchiness of actually having to develop a strategy to do something. And a lot of the the Yugo Iago games are like that. You just do everything you you push everything you can to that alpha strike to to just shoot 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 or fight fight fight, and then the game is basically one of the first round or two. And I think that's a weakness of these mainline games. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've been both on the giving and receiving end of games that are over in turn one, and it's it's not fun when you win, and it's not fun when you lose. Really, it's it's just not not really a good time. I. I will say when I first started picking up some more specialist games coming, you know, directly from 40k and Age of Sigmar, I got really thrown off by the uh, by the alternating activations and stuff like that because you know I would move my guys up and be like, all right, I'm in a pretty good position. Then my opponent would be like, okay, well I'm just going to charge you because you put yourself into charge range. I'm like, oh, I forgot you can do that before I can shoot you. So the the game then opens up some more interesting tactical possibilities, but we have to talk a little bit about the army setup so when you're making your army list there the, your army list will tell you what kind of formations you can put together like you can put together an assault formation or you can put together a jump formation or put together a predator or demolisher formation if you're playing space marines and those will limit the sorts of units you can put in there and then the as you're playing the game you really need to be very cognizant of what job that formation has is this one a unit that's going to be held in the backfield to fill the line? Is it an artillery formation that can help anywhere on the board with its long-range firepower? Is it an assault formation that's going to go forward and take an objective? Is it a support formation that's going to be able to support the two formations on its side? And because the, the units are, the, the battlefield is so big, you really have to think about this combined arms mentality where you've got to have assault, uh, support, and fast attack and all these doing their own special thing, even more so than in the, the mainline games. And what I liked about the battle reports I was reading was that there was a lot of flexibility in some of those formations. For instance, there was a Eldar, I was reading an Eldar battle report, and the Eldar was able to move in, in his activation was move up, shoot, and then bounce back behind a cliff so that it couldn't be shot back again. I thought, that feels amazing. I haven't been able to do anything like that since, what, 7th edition with some Tau uh, Crisis battle suits or Sisters of Battle? We don't we don't talk about 7th edition Tau. <laughs> but even having the flexibility to do anything like that in the modern game just wasn't there because you're so regimented in I move, I psychic, I shoot, I assault, and it only happens in that order. Weirdly, this seems to provide some more flexibility, and your army does play a little bit differently based on having those special abilities or not. And that, that sort of thing really fascinates me. 
All right. Well, do we uh, have more that we want to talk about with uh, old Epic, or should we start talking about the return of Epic? Um, I do have a question. How often... So I remember in 6th edition Apocalypse, I want to say, you could get formations of uh, different units. So you could have multiple Vindicators that could destroy a structure because they'd get a bonus to doing that. Um, Whirlwinds could draw a line of sight using a land spear that was a, like part of their... Uh, formation. Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. The, the The rules are kind of implicit in that. You have a much simplified stat line uh, with the dice that you roll. So there aren't a lot, there aren't a ton of special abilities they are in there. Apocalypse adds a little more granularity with some of the stuff that you're talking about there with those formations. And I think Apocalypse would be a, a great uh, topic for, for this in the future for uh, plundering the vaults and how you can integrate some of that stuff into these larger games. But the um, but the the sort of ability you're talking about is kind of already held in that that data sheet that the the formation has when you put it together in the first place. And I guess yeah, that would be a good place to kind of talk about what do we think the new version is going to look like. Will it just be an expansion of Adeptus Titanicus, or will it be a whole new system? That is my big question. I'm hoping that they do it at the same scale as Titanicus. That's my hope. I think it would be really sweet to be able to field the Titans I already have with more units that I pick up. What about you guys? I think actually that a, an epic system would be a really good way to balance Knights and Titanicus. They've always felt a little out of place in what they do on the table because they're only facing other Knights and Titans, but having infantry, armor aircraft on there could help really pull them into the game in a way that would work. I'm more interested in whether or not they're going to incorporate the Xenos factions. Obviously like Tau and Tyranids wouldn't be there because of the setting, but Eldar, Dark Eldar, all of those guys would be available. Orcs would be cool to see. I've been waiting for Orc Gargant since Adeptus Titanicus came out. That would be a lot of fun. See, I don't think that they're going to, and I think that's actually going to be a problem for them in recapturing some of this old school community that's lived on online, is, you know, those guys, they want their Tyranids, they want their um, Orcs, they want their Eldar. Uh, I think the reason that they're rolling this out under the Heresy flag is so that they can keep it very limited in scope uh, to see if it'll be successful which in a way will actually prevent it from being as successful as it could be. Uh, I am on the unpopular side. I think that I actually don't want Xenos and Heresy. Uh, I don't think that they belong in the setting. Uh, this is a this is an imperial civil civil war, so let's keep it to that. What I'm interested in is the scale, because if you guys see in the Discord. Um, Obviously, our listeners can't see it, but I just posted a picture of two models sitting next to each other. One is an Adeptus Titanicus knight. Uh, can you guys tell what that other one is? That's a reaver, isn't it? It's a reaver. That type. is a epic scale reaver. Yeah. So, well, epic was a lot. Sp- I think it's true fifteen millimeter, isn't it? 
might even be 10 millimeter. No, no, it was like six millimeter. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I think the individual Space Marines is what you would gauge that on. And I think they were six millimeter. They were small. So I remember uh, a, a model that uh, a diorama a guy made with an orc and a Space Marine playing chess. And the chess pieces were epic miniatures. <laughs> that's really cool. So they were rather yeah, that's small. really neat. But I think that I think the designers, when they were making those Reavers and Warlords and stuff for Epic, they were limited by their technology, and I think they recognized that they were probably too small for the for the game, and there were different versions of them over the years that some were bigger or smaller. So uh, I would I would guess that it's it's going to be the same scale as Titanicus, because they did say that Aeronautica Imperialis was in fact. Proper scale for Titanicus, so it makes sense that they would just roll roll through and do the same thing. Yeah, and that's another that's another big question I have about the return of Epic potentially. Is you know everybody talks about oh they'll roll um, Aeronautica Imperialis under it. Aeronautica is a very different game. It's much more board gamey than like Titanicus is or Epic would be. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. And it's, also, it's based other- on an actual hex grid, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the other big part of that is Aeronautica is also set in the 41st millennium. So are they just going to say, hey, you can use these Aeronautica models, but if you have these, you're just out of luck? I, I don't know. In, in my experience, GW doesn't like to do stuff like that. So I do wonder what, what that's going to kind of look like. I almost wonder if it's going to be similar to like what they do with the kill team boxes or the... Um the Warhammer Underworld stuff where they like kind of give them rules and just sort of say, eh, you'll figure it out from there. Um, and as for the hex grid, they'd probably just ditch it. They might even come out with like a flight stand conversion. So you can put them on a different base and just use the models. Now. And what I thought for years was that they could get away from the, cause I don't, I don't really relish the idea of painting a little six or 10 millimeter model if they just released that as a token or a card that had a picture of a formation on it, I'd be okay playing with that. Maybe have a model for something the size of a Land Raider or bigger, but any of the smaller stuff could just be a token and I'd, I'd be fine. Probably not going to happen, but that's that's my opinion on it. They're yeah, a model-making company. Cardboard standees, they can't do that. Stop. Get, <laughs> Get out, out of here with the model-making. Get out of here with that heresy. <laughs> yeah. We're a model make. No, you're not. Okay. Uh yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Manipul. That's kind of the one kind of turnoff I have for Epic is that the the tiny, little tiny men just don't seem interesting to paint for me. So, but that's what the Titans are there for. So let me throw this, out this. So we're, we're all fairly certain this is going to be an Epic release, but what if it's a fake out and they're actually just going to be releasing rules for Apocalypse in a horse heresy edition and they're going to release maybe a a large another couple large models in plastic with a big bunch of templates and stuff like that another book to say now make your horse heresy games up to ten thousand points is that going to be what's going to happen here actually and we've we've all been misled honestly if that was the case i'd be totally okay with it because titanicus is an incredible game as it is something that we haven't talked about and maybe this is a stretch but what if this is another video game 
What if they're doing like another RTS like Dawn of War, but Heresy Edition? Oh man, if that came out, if they did Dawn of War Heresy Edition, I, I would be pre-ordering that like tomorrow. So that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, that's um, that could be really interesting. I See, I don't. That's a stretch, though. I don't we, know we that heard Relic about the development already. I don't know that Relic is going to get away with another Dawn of War game after Dawn of War Three. So maybe a different dev has it if that's the case. But I'm I'm more inclined to believe that this is some kind of board game. That's the that's the only way that I would actually be legitimately upset with this because we all know that when they make games based off of the box games, the specialty games, they end up being like shitty mobile clones. And I'm just say, not here for that. What if yeah. it's some tactical turn-based mobile game set in the heresy? That would be... Mobile games be are not down. video games. Don't at me. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, so here's... on the, the other side of Epic is that if the Titanicus models are all included in that, and you start bringing in Space Marine units and Dreadnoughts and Land Raiders and all that, it just seems to me like the larger titans are going to be quickly outclassed by some guy coming in and rolling 50 dice with a whole pool of land raiders and earthshaker cannons and then the you know just by virtue of rolling a bunch of sixes all of your titans are knocked out that's the fear that i have that this happens because as we all have played a lot we recognize that the warhound with the with the mega bolters is a great titan killer just because he can roll a lot of dice and that would be my fear for bringing in infantry and tanks into this game. And it might spoil it. Yeah, and I get what what Paul was saying earlier about having being able to counter the knights more easily or balance the knights out by having other models kind of in that, that class. But I think it, it kind of almost adds to the same problem, like you said, Manifold, that we're going to see more models that excel where the Titans can't like the, the Knights are better at movement. That's why they're so squirrely on the, on the battlefield. But I, I don't know how, how it would all pan out if we added more of the same kind of mechanic into Titanicus. Well, um, my thought is there's a few different ways you can do that. One there's templates in Titanicus. I, I'm guessing that a lot of infantry or small tanks can fit under a large blast from a volcano cannon. So, I mean, that can put a big hole in an army. The The other thing, too, is, I mean, I would be, hopefully we'd be playing with ranges at that point where the Titans would just be able to outrange if that's how you were going to try and do it. Yeah, I do wonder about that. I'm actually not familiar with the old Titanicus very much either, but wasn't that its own separate rule system before they incorporated Titans into Epic? And didn't they change like a lot of the stat lines for the Titans to fit them into Epic a little better? Yeah, I think Titanicus was the original release. Then it became Space Marine, where they included plastic Space Marines and Land Raiders. And then it became Epic, Arm- Epic Armageddon was the yeah. book that came out. So I almost wonder if they'll do something like that where they come out with Epic and it'll be like a starter box with two Space Marine sides and then it'll come out with the Armageddon book to incorporate your Titan Legios and Aeronautica units into Space Marine and give them kind of a stat block update. Weren't the the icons in the little preview, weren't they Imperial Fist and Sons of Horus? Yeah, Imperial Dorks. So... 
I mean, it's it seems to me as though this is going to somehow roll into the siege of Chthonia, right? That that's my guess anyway. I I wouldn't even say that at all. Uh, Sons of Horus and Imperial Dorks have been the poster children of this edition of Heresy. All that all that I take out of that is that this is set in the 30k setting. Yeah, it's like Ultramarines and 40k. They're just on everything. So I'll be excited to see whatever they come up with. If it, if it, if it's a box of little tiny Space Marines, I'll probably buy it. If it's a book that tells me how to play Apocalypse in the in 30k, I'll buy it. If it ends up being a computer game that's not a crappy mobile clone, I'll probably buy it. So I'm interested in anything that expands this universe and uh, gives us more options to play. And uh, maybe and I can then go back to that, you know, that those locked eyes 20 years ago and see what could have been. Well, we're all pulling for yeah. you. Good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see it. I'll be looking forward to see what comes out and uh, hopefully we'll get some some tiny space marines. Uh, all right, uh, Warwick, you want to uh, plug some socials and then we'll get out of here? Yeah, why don't you guys shoot us an email at legioncast18 at gmail.com. We'd love hearing from you guys. And also look us up on Twitter. I've been having a lot of fun over there posting pictures of Brandon's Titanicus event. So check those out. Let us know what you, th- what you think. And if you're listening to us on Spotify and Apple, go ahead and share this out to your gaming community. Give us a rating. Leave us a comment. We really need some feedback on this, so please check it out. Yeah, leave some reviews. It, it gets these guys noticed. Come on, Longbeards. Click the, click the button. Hit, hit it. Five stars. All right, thanks for stopping by, everybody, and uh, remember to march in fortune. <laughs>